0: Child by Beryl Strifeclaw and Tepic Harlequin. Christmas was tomorrow morning and Market Square in Clockhaven was full of festive yet frantic shoppers trying to beat the looming deadline. Last minute gifts flew off the shelves for a lucky few, while others continued the hunt for their final surprises. The shoppers that finished their sprees often wandered to the center of the square to relax. There they would find a frozen fountain that some boasted was personally touched by Jack Frost every year. The pristine sights sparked the wonder of the populace and decorative snowman competitions were held annually. Carolers gathered around the caricatures to share their merry melodies while audiences admired the decorations. Happy children and parents greeted neighbors and family as the spirit of Christmas visited them. They spoke excitedly of the following morning and the impending arrival of the legendary figure Steam Santa. The revelers were unaware of a pair of worried, sullen eyes watching the rich families enviously. In a darkened corner of the square, a young lad in a tattered coat sat atop a barrel half covered in snow. He was a homeless child known only as Tommy. The boy escaped to Babbage after abandoning his last name and the abusive family attached to it. He stowed away one fateful morning and left his parents behind forever. But he could not escape their trade. His mother and father cheated and stole from everyone, including Tommy and that was all they ever taught him. Without any other trade he fell back on the only skills he knew, skills that put a chill in his heart as the time approached when Santa and his grotesque assistant, the boiler elf, would judge him. His parents claimed the two were only myths and refused to celebrate the holiday but tragedy struck their home regularly around Christmas time. The adults blamed their neighbors, but Tommy did not know how any mortal hand could place rotted fish heads covered with maggots inside their walls. With that horrid smell clear in his memory, Tommy wondered what terrible fate awaited him that evening. The lad watched the happy families until the carolers shifted to songs about steam Santa. He stood up from the barrel, revealing the wet spot where he'd been sitting on the snow. The icy wind cut through the holes in his coat and the damp spot, forcing Tommy to shiver. Gathering his coat around him and placing a hand on his previously stolen presents, he made his way back to the urchin home. As he was leaving, the haunting melody of the carolers became twisted in his ears. Oh, he's making his lists. He'll check it twice. He already knows you haven't been nice. Santa's gonna boil you down. Tommy's stride paused as he wondered at the lyrics. Had he misheard them, he thought? But then a loud metallic crash resounded behind him, and the boy took off running for shelter. Over his shoulder he imagined the boiler elf chasing him down the dark passages and corridors of Clockhaven. Every icicle falling from a roof or groaning pipe was the grotesque elf in the tormented mind of a child. The guilty boy ran for the nearest hideout of the city's urchins and ducked inside the warmer room, panting heavily. He slammed the door behind him, coughing after his unplanned sprint, startling the other children gathered. Small groups were scattered around the room, preparing for the celebration, which halted during Tommy's sudden entrance. After recognizing the boy, they relaxed and continued with their tasks. Some were sitting on the floor cross-legged, pasting together strips of newspaper, creating paper chains to hang along the walls. Others draped the tree with decorations and walked away smelling of pine and sap. The rest were making party hats, crackers, noisemakers, crafting other decorations, or cooking. A gentle buzz of excited conversation permeated the room as the children eagerly anticipated Santa's visit. By the stove was an urn half full of hot toddy, and two boys doled out small portions to new arrivals. They whispered to each other about whether there would be enough to last through the next day. In one corner a group were oiling and salting a pile of large potatoes ready to bake in the embers of the fire. A hint was made that there did not seem to be as many this year, and the complainant was quickly hushed by the older urchins, who glanced worriedly at each other. Tommy listened to the older boys and tried not to betray the guilt turning his stomach. The reason their celebration was so meagre was because he had been raiding the Christmas Fund for the past month. He had helped himself to a few coins inside the stash to enjoy a warm meal once or twice a week. A dark-haired lad bustled up to Tommy with a tin cup of hot punch and a mince pie fresh from the oven. The treats smelled inviting and the warmth began to dismiss his desperate flight minutes before. As he accepted his share, the door banged open behind him. The boy jumped, imagining the bony fingers of the boiler elf coming to clutch and drag him out into the darkness. His nerves settled when a young lass entered the hideout, blowing on her hands. She was soon given a cup and a pie to fight the cold. Tommy and the urchin girl sat down to enjoy the first of the season's fair. The girl enjoyed her drink letting out a contented sigh as it warmed her from the inside. Tommy sipped the rich-smelling toddy, but instead of being hot and sweet, it tasted like cold castor oil, bitter and slimy. He coughed up the nasty liquid and glanced down at the mug in surprise. Steam rose off the liquid, and the aroma was soothing. And alcoholic. Confused, the boy tried the pie, but it was like trying to eat wet ashes wrapped in thick, dry paper. He spit it out to the shock of his companion, who was scoffing into hers like it was the best thing she had eaten in years. Tommy looked at the boy who served him suspiciously that he was not laughing at him from a distance. The lad returned to his meal and tried again, but it tasted even more foul this time. Grimacing, he offered the rest to the girl, who accepted gratefully and drank it down with obvious relish. The rest of the crew were finishing off their tasks and settling into a cold supper of meat and sandwiches and they invited the newcomers to join them. Tommy glanced at the pile of bread and meat, but in the flicker of the candlelight he thought he saw green mould and maggots wiggling on the meat. The others seemed delighted with their tiny feast, but Tommy excused himself, saying he was tired. As the others munched away happily, he scrunched down on his thin straw mattress pulling a worn and ragged blanket tightly around him, trying to fall asleep. Hungry and cold, despite the heat from the stove and other urchins in the small space, he listened as the others gradually dropped into sleep that escaped him. As the moon rose, he tossed and turned, the hours passing slowly like coal barges down by the docks. Each sound jerked him awake. Was that the sound of a stealthy foot coming to steal him off with a clawed hand? Or a rat in the walls? He began to regret all of his crimes since coming to the city. When he first arrived that spring to New Babbage, he swiped an apple hidden in the bag of a young girl. A few days later he pocketed a prized penknife, sending a young boy into a hysterical fit. It had been a gift from Steam Santa, and Tommy comforted his peer for its loss while it was hidden in his own back pocket. He held the same penknife now, but feared what worse fate awaited him if he were to try to use it. In one corner of the room, The youngest boys were trying to settle down for the evening. Like Tommy, they feared their misdeeds would be uncovered by the boiler elf. Several of the older boys quietly reassured them the elf understood urchins sometimes had to break the rules. The elf and Santa would not punish urchins for doing what was necessary to survive. The children quieted, appeased at the older boys' words and gradually allowed the Sandman to claim them. Tommy heard the reassurances, that he could take no comfort from them. The other urchins had survived by stealing and cheating adults, but Tommy had not discriminated. He stole from children, and even his closest friends and allies. Eventually, even his own fears could not keep him awake, and he dozed off, but not into the dreamless rest of the innocent. He was running through a twisted version of the city, with narrower, darker back alleys that he did not recognize. The few lights illuminated nothing but frightening shadows and slippery cobbles under his feet, turned like marbles, throwing him off balance. Behind him was a steady, heavy step of the boiler elf slow and sure never getting quicker or slower no matter how fast he ran how many times he dodged and sprinted a new direction the footfalls were gaining on him he turned into a corridor but the end was bricked over he desperately looked for a way out a coal cellar, an air vent, a way of climbing up the brickwork to safety. But there was nothing. He turned, back pressed into the unyielding, cold, hard bricks. And there was the elf. He was huge, menacing, with a wicked smile of sharp teeth and eyes that glowed like hot coals. The elf reached out with an enormous clawed hand while preparing his sack with the other. Tommy panicked as he reached into his pockets for the stolen penknife, his last and only defense. It was not there. When he removed his hands, he found his wrists were shackled together. Helpless and screaming wordlessly, Tommy backed into the corner, but iron-strong, cold fingers dug into his flesh, and the boy was lifted. He begged the elf to let him go, but the toothy grin only became more pronounced. The lad was thrown headfirst into the waiting sack, but instead of hitting the bottom and cracking his head on the cobbles below, the urchin fell, spinning in darkness. A sickly light flew upwards towards him and as he passed into its weak illumination he saw two huge, evilly grinning figures. His parents, cackling at him, jabbing their fingers, tormenting him. Then he was passed, tumbling through utter blackness for what felt like forever. A faint light to one side and he saw a young girl sitting on the pavement searching through her bag fruitlessly for the apple she knew had to be there, before resigning herself to another night of hunger. Onwards, he saw his friend talking to some other urchins, damning his own carelessness but losing his knife, and praising Tommy as his best friend for comforting him when he was so upset. Each of his misdeeds appeared one by one, showing the hurt he had given, the hope he had stolen, trust he had broken. And then there were his parents again, bathed in a ghastly green light, beckoning him to them, telling him how proud they were of him, how he was just like them. With a stifled scream, he woke in a cold sweat. The room, in the early hours of the morning, was hot and muggy. He could hear the small noises made by the urchins sleeping around him, the glow from the stove casting a warm light across the scene. He looked at the bulging stocking propped against his straw bed, a stocking he had not hung up the night before, but which he instinctively knew was his own. Gingerly, he reached out and picked it up. It was heavy, cold, and extruded an air of horror. With trepidation, he opened it and gazed down at the contents. His face drained of color. He gulped and closed it up again. Crossing to the stove, he lifted the lid and dropped the stocking in, where it hissed and steamed, a dark green glowing steam with a smell Tommy thought must be from hell before vanishing in a ball of flame. Tommy returned to his bed exhausted, falling asleep almost instantly, with just enough time to vow to himself that the next year would be different. The End
1: Greetings, and Merry Christmas. McKnight Cul-de-sac here. Today, I would like to share another Christmas song unique to the city-state of New Babbage. Everyone in New Babbage knows about Steam Santa, how he flies through the air in his steam-powered sleigh every Christmas Eve, delivering gifts to the citizens of New Babbage. They also know Steam Santa's assistant and chief engineer, the Boiler Elf. The Boiler Elf is not an especially cheerful or friendly creature, but he has a very important skill. He knows when someone is telling the truth, and when they are not. When Steam Santa asks you if you have been good, Boiler Elf listens, and he will determine using his special truth sense whether you deserve a Christmas gift or not. This song could be the story of many residents of New Babbage, young and old, who know what gifts they want Steam Santa to bring them on Christmas Eve, but they aren't quite sure of passing the Boiler Elf's test of worthiness. The song is called Boiler Elf, Don't Stare at Me. Boiler Elf, don't
2: stare at me from
1: underneath the Christmas tree. Boiler Elf, don't glare at me. You know that I've been good. Tell Steam Santa I can't exist without what's on my Christmas list. Boiler Elf, don't
2: glare at me. I know that I've been good.
1: When you talk to Steam Santa, Boiler Elf will hear you too.
2: If you tell a lie,
1: Boiler Ralph will growl at you. Boiler Elf tells Steam Santa who to put onto his list. If the Boiler Elf likes you, you will get a Christmas gift. Boiler Elf, don't stare at me from underneath the Christmas tree. Boiler Elf, don't glare at me. I'm sure that I've been good. Tell Steam Santa I can't exist Without what's on my Christmas list Boiler Elf, don't glare at me I really have been good When Steam Santa comes On his sleigh that runs on steam Boiler Elf is chief Of his engineering team Through the air they fly Round the chimney stacks they weave Over all new babbage bringing gifts on Christmas Eve Boiler Elf, don't stare at me from underneath the Christmas tree Boiler Elf, don't glare at me I promise I've been good Tell Steam Santa I can't exist without what's on my Christmas list Boiler Elf, don't glare at me I'm sure that I've been good Christmas tree Boiler Elf, don't glare at me I hope that I've been good Tell Steam Santa I can't exist without what's on my Christmas list Boiler Elf, don't glare at me, I try so hard to be good
2: snuggled up by the fire a glass of absinthe and perhaps a box of truffles well then let me begin our story starts on christmas eve in the Crackenwell factory deep in the heart of new babbage the workers are busy packing final shipments after a rather hard year make sure all the oranges are delivered by this afternoon said the factory owner mr briggs to the foreman mr bell and I'm expecting Mrs. December to arrive later, bringing decorations for the Christmas gathering, so help her with whatever she requests. Mr. Briggs was an imposing figure, smartly dressed with a big top hat, well kept sideburns and was almost always smoking a cigar. Righto Mr. Briggs, replied the foreman. The workers, especially the younger ones, are really looking forward to this year's Christmas gathering. Yes, well said, Mister Briggs, with a frown. With all the mechanical failures we've had this year, I was almost at a mind to cancel the celebrations completely. Tis true, sir," said Mister Bell, shaking his head. "The Gremlins did cause much disruption this year. Gremlin poppycock, Mister Bell," groaned Mister Briggs. With bills for mechanical maintenance biting at our profits, I'll have no choice but to cut the workforce. Suddenly there was a substantial crashing sound from across the room causing the foreman and factory owner to turn startled. Laying on the ground, surrounded by broken crates and rolling bottles of blacking oil, was a young Tompkins, rubbing his sore bare feet. The short, scruffy, brown-haired boy was probably the youngest employed at the factory, and for this reason was often referred to as Tiny Tompkins. Tompkins yet again, groaned Mr. Briggs. It seems whatever task I put you to, you prove unable to accomplish without some sort of disruption. Tompkins quickly stood up and started to gather the broken pieces of crate, while the other older children laughed and pointed at the small boy. "Oi!" shouted Mr. Bell, that's enough. You still have much work to be done, or do you wish to work through Christmas? Yes, quite, mumbled Mr. Briggs, turning back to the foreman. That Tompkins shall be the first to go, bless his heart for trying, but the boy is dreadfully inept, and the rest of the workers do tease the lad, agreed Mr. Bell. He's just not good at anything. The two men turned to watch as Tiny Tompkins struggled to pick up the mess he had made. Later that morning, young Tompkins was giving sweeping duty on the spinning mule floor, a rather simple task as the older boys gathered wastegate under the great clanking spinning mules. Suddenly there was an almighty clanking sound, as a small metal cog appeared to drop from the ceiling and bounced about the cotton spinning machines. The boys under the machine looked up in sudden fear of some sort of catastrophic failure of the spinning mule that would result in their bodies being squished, split, impaled, or perhaps worse. And oh, there could be worse... To their in Tompkins' shock, they managed to glimpse the buttocks and legs of a very small grey creature, trying to wriggle through a gap in the ceiling. "'Look! A gremlin!' yelled one of the boys, quickly throwing his scraping tool at the exposed miniature rear end, hitting the creature hard, causing it to yelp, before finally disappearing through the gap in the ceiling. "'Them blighters!' said the boy, as Tompkins looked up confused. "'That always trying to wreck things!' They're little goblins, said another boy. They are mean and evil and just go round breaking everything. Tompkins looked up at the gap in the ceiling, considering the older boy's words. By mid-afternoon, everyone was soon winding down for the preparations ahead of the Christmas gathering, while the local old madwoman, Mrs. December, had gone round handing out fresh oranges to each worker. Tompkins had never had an orange before, and so decided to save it for later, when he was free from his chores. He rubbed the fruit on his sleeve before placing it in his jacket. The final job of the day was to carry the last of the crates of blacking oil down to the wagons to be transported to Port Babbage the following morning. No! yelled one of the older boys as Tompkins struggled to lift up the crate. You are too small and you'll break something! Tompkins was suddenly surrounded by a group of older children and felt rather threatened. "'The last thing we need is you causing trouble,' continued the boy. "'In fact, let's put you in a place where you'll do no trouble. What you say, lads?' And before Tompkins could protest, the bigger children had grabbed the boy and carried him across the room to the big sliding cellar door. But this was no ordinary cellar. In fact, The cellar was an old medieval crypt that the factory was built on and occasionally stored supplies in, and as Tompkins was thrown down the old steps into the darkness, fear filled his heart. For it was generally believed by all the workers that this crypt was haunted by the ghost of a mad scientist who started the great fire of Old Babbage. It was even said that the mummified remains of three holy knights would rise from the crypt and devour the flesh of unsuspecting street virgins. The door above slid shut, leaving Tompkins in total darkness. As his eyes got used to the blackness, the boy moved cautiously into the room, running his small hand across the stone wall. Yet there was a faint light at the end of this very old crypt. Tompkins rubbed his arms in the cold air, and carefully placed one set of toes in front of the other as he approached the source of this light. In the center of the room were three stone coffins, and to one side was a step up to a slightly higher level upon which stood two big metal candlestick holders covered in cobwebs. One of these candles was in fact lit Flickering gently and casting shadows across the rocky walls. (sniffs) A sudden sniffling noise caused Tompkins to jump back a step. But regaining his senses, the young boy slowly moved around the side of one of the coffins. He pulled the orange out of his pocket and held it ready to throw as a weapon against whatever frightful phantasm was waiting in the darkness to feed on him. There. Sitting, shivering on the cold ground, was a little greyish naked figure with a large head and ears that were pointed at the end. Its eyes were big and black, and its nose big and round like a giant swollen wart. Tompkins had found the gremlin. It turned and snarled at the boy but Tompkins blinked at it with curiosity, not fear, and seeing immediately that the little gremlin was cold and hurt. Tompkins gently stepped forward and knelt down next to the Gremlin. “!" <coughs> hissed the Gremlin, raising its little clawed hands in a frightening display. But Tompkins was not afraid. Instead he took off his neck scarf and gently rubbed the dirt from the Gremlin’s wounded leg. growled the gremlin bearing its sharp white teeth but Tompkins was not afraid instead he took off his jacket and wrapped it around the shivering little gremlin (coughs) whimpered the gremlin but Tompkins was still not afraid instead he looked at the orange in his hand before holding it out to the gremlin The little gremlin blinked and sniffled, confused, before reaching out to accept the orange. A smile grew on young Tompkins' face as he watched the cold, hurt, hungry gremlin tuck into the succulent orange. The scraping sound of the cellar door caused Tompkins to spin around to see Mr Bell stumbling down the steps. Tompkins, you down here? The other boys said you were down here. Stop messing about. "'We'll be standing on that cross upstairs.' Tompkins looked back towards the gremlin, only to find it had gone, leaving his coat and a few orange peels. "'Stuffing your face with that orange already?' said Mr Bell, as Tompkins climbed up the steps into the light. "'Go find somewhere else where you won't cause any mischief.' Tompkins ran around the side of the great steam engine that generated power for the entire factory, a large spinning metal wheel attached to two pulsating pistons gyrating in fierce, constant motion. The sound from it pulsated through the building all day like a giant smoking dragon. The small boy quickly climbed up the side of the crates that were stacked beside the engine. He looked over the side down at the big spinning mechanical monster of a machine. Steam vented every few seconds. Psh- Meanwhile, Mrs. December was busy setting up the tables and green-leafed garland decorations all over the factory. Food was being placed on the tables, and barrels of Brunel beer were being cracked open for the Christmas gathering. "'All right, Mr. Bell,' called Mr. Briggs. "'If you would please shut off the engine. It's time for the festivities to begin.' Mr. Bell walked over to the great thundering machine and gripped the crank handle, "'pulling back in one big motion to set the steam engine into shutdown. "'Candles were being lit, fiddles tuned, "'and all around men, women and children who worked hard all year "'were itching to eat, drink and dance. "'There was a loud clank followed by a pang. "'Is something amiss?' asked Mr Briggs as he was past the glass. "Um, I'm not sure, Mr Briggs, sir,' replied the foreman confused. "'Er, uh, it should be stopping.' The people in the room watched as instead of slowing down to halt, the great steam engine appeared to start speeding up. "'What's going on? Why is it not stopping?' asked Mr Briggs with concern. "'She's speeding up, sir,' replied Mr Bell, pulling the crank handle again and again. "'The engine's out of control!' The giant metal wheels span and span, faster and faster. Steam started to vent with increasing frequency and in larger plumes.' High above the engine, Tomkin had a perfect view as the two pistons side by side speeded up. Between which, the boy noticed two little greyish gremlin feet squeezing through under the engine's central compartment. "'What?' asked Mr. Briggs. "'What do you mean out of control? What does this mean?' "'Sir, if we don't stop her, she'll explode!' shouted Mr. Bell. "'The whole factory will go up in flames!' "'By the great builder!' "'Gasped Mr. Briggs. "'All right, all right, everyone out. "'Get out of the factory immediately, this instant!' "'It's too late, sir!' shouted Mr. Bell, falling back as a vent of steam erupted from the expanding piping "'with a screeching scream. "'Amongst all the commotion, Tomkins had stood to his feet "'on top of the towering stack of crates "'and leapt out over the raging steam engine.' No, boy, cried Mr Bell, as he noticed Tompkins fall from above and disappear down between the stomping pistons, fearing the boy had just jumped to his death. But landing on his bare feet in the central compartment, Tompkins immediately felt the heat of the metal beneath, as around him steam bellowed and mechanical components turned and span. Ahead of him was the gremlin, smiling at him, holding a metal tube. The gremlin gestured for Tompkins to come closer then placed the metal component in the boy's hand. Tompkins looked confused and on seeing this, the gremlin tapped the boy's nose three times before pointing at a section of the inner engine and miming a few actions. A smile appeared on Tompkins' face as he suddenly realised what the gremlin was trying to show him. Leaning forward, The boy reached into the gap with the metal tube and twisted it into place, just as the gremlin had shown him. There was a sudden loud clank, and the whole engine shuddered and shaked. "'I don't believe it!' gasped Mr Bell. "'She's slowing down! By the great builder, she's slowing down!' Everyone remaining in the factory watched as the great steam engine slowed to a gasping stop. "'I do not understand!' said Mr Bell with joy. I was sure she was going to explode any second. What about Tomkins? Said Mr. Briggs, regaining his composure. Send for a physician immediately. A scruffy mop of brown hair appeared over the edge of the engine, followed by the sooty, dirty face of the smallest worker in Crackenwell Factory. To to Tomkins! Gasped Mr. Bell. By Jove, you're alive! Tompkins climbed over the now silent and still machinery to drop on the ground in front of the crowd gathered in the room. We surely thought you'd been crushed, lad, continued Mr Bell. Well, blow me down with a blunderbuss. It was you who fixed the engine, wasn't it, you little blighter? Just as Mr Bell asked his question, young Tompkins spotted the gremlin on the other side of the room, sneakily opening the cellar door. It turned briefly and winked at the boy with a cheeky grin before dropping out of sight. Tompkins then turned his attention back to the foreman and nodded. We'll all be, said Mr Bell, grabbing Tompkins into a hug before lifting him high up on his shoulder. We has a hero here, and this boy saved us all this Christmas. The gathering crowd cheered and danced, and the music was played as the hero Tompkins was held above with a delightfully beaming grin on his little face. And so it was, young Tompkins became a mascot of sorts to the Crackenwell factory. Whenever anything appeared to break down or malfunction mysteriously, Tompkins was sent in and somehow would always manage to fix it and in turn becoming the most valued employee of the Krakenmill factory. So be mindful of young Tompkins' tale. Be kind to one and all this Christmas and all year round, for beneficial friendships can come from the most unlikeliest of acquaintances.